to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Well, uh, it's been a real pleasure being here with you guys over this last weekend. It's been fun getting to meet a lot of you, get to hear a little bit about some of your stories. Um, And I hope above all that this weekend really was a time for you to refresh spiritually. And I hope that on some level, what we were talking about in that very first meeting, your deep down heart view of God has been changed in some way, refreshed in some way, renewed so that you see something about him that's gonna change who you are when you go back to campus. I hope that's happened for every person in this room. I know it's been a good weekend for me, at least, in that way. Um, we're gonna finish up the book of Ruth, uh, but before we do, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna tell you guys a, a little confession. One of the things that, at least for me as a husband, I am the weakest in. Um, one of the things, and if my wife were here, she could confirm this, that I am not so good at is follow through, okay? So I'm a guy who tends to live a little bit in the dreams, a little bit in the ideals, and so I have a tendency at times to make promises and to say I'm gonna do things that I never quite follow through on. You know, so in my marriage, I'm, I'm always telling my wife, She's like, oh, can you hang those shelves? Can you mow the lawn? Can you clean the toilet? Can you paint the room? Whatever it is. And I'll always be like, oh, yeah, I got that covered. I'll get that done, you know, today. I'm going to be right on that. And then, of course, by the end of the day, she says, hey, did you, uh, did you finish that thing? And I'll be like, well, you know, I had some, got kind of busy. Some things happened. But I promise I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. And then tomorrow rolls around. I'm like, oh, well, you know, some things came up. I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. And I wish I wasn't that way. I know it drives my, my wife crazy. It's not the kind of person I want to be. It's just something that I personally struggle with. And isn't that kind of true of our relationship with God? That it's easy to come to something like fall retreat and have a lot of dreams and a lot of ideals of who I want to be, how I want to follow God when I get back. And then we get back and we're just snap right back into normal life and nothing really changes. You know, we have these hopes and we say, make these promises, but then the reality falls short. Uh, in, in Ruth chapter four, uh, one of the things I like about it is that Boaz, you know, in Ruth chapter three, he makes this promise to take this risk to marry Ruth, to bring her and Naomi into his household and to provide for them. And Boaz, he's not just an idealist, he's not just a promise maker, he's not just a talker, he's a doer. Because in the Ruth chapter four, the next story, what does he do? He gets up the next morning and he makes it happen. By the end of that day, him and Ruth are married. He follows through on his promises, right? He's not just a talker, he's a doer. And I think God is calling us not just to be talkers in our walk with him. I think that God is calling us to be doers. God's calling us to be doers. As we think about what we've learned this weekend, you know, we talked about how our experiences shape our deep down heart view of God, but how God can refresh and renew and restore that deep down heart theology, how we see him. He can, he can whisper to us through the sacrificial love of others. And as that happens, as, as we see God's love more and more clearly, we realize that his love is like a wing covering us, protecting us. And as we're grabbed and captivated by that love, it sets us free to go and take risks 
for God, risks for Jesus. And so the question that we have to ask this morning is, am I actually gonna do it? When I get back, is there actually gonna be follow through? Am I gonna be like Boaz who says, yes, I'll take the risk and then he does it? Or is this gonna be a weekend full of dreams and ideals that never actually land in reality? What I wanna do this morning is is I wanna do a brief reflection on, I think, the kind of community God is calling Veritas to be, and then the kind of community that, that, that I think you're going to be tempted to become, and then we're just going to get really practical. Remember, last uh, Saturday morning, we talked about uh, activities, practices that uh, have a high return on investment. We're going to talk about three practical things. If you could just do these three things, when you get back, I promise it's going to change your life. Okay, so let's hop right in, and we're going to talk about the kind of community that I think God is calling all of us to be whenever we get back to Mizzou. And to talk about it, I want to read you one of my favorite parables from Jesus. This is uh, called the parable of the mustard seed, and it comes in uh, Mark 4.30. So I'll read it to you guys. And he, Jesus said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. And yet, when it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, it puts out branches so that the birds of the air can make their nests in its tree, in its shade. Uh, It's a story, right? It's a story about a seed becoming a tree. And the basic idea here is that small acts Small acts of love, small acts of faithfulness can become huge trees of refuge that provide and care for many people. It it can sound a little bit trite, I I know, but what Jesus is getting at here is he's saying uh, small acts, small, small little deeds of love and faithfulness, these are the things that really actually can change the world. Small acts of love and faithfulness, that's what can change the world. Do you wanna know what the mark of a Christian is or what it should be, how you should know a Christian? Love. Love is the mark of a Christian. And if there's a second mark of it, it should be faith. Faithfulness to God, faithfulness to others. And so when you think about the kind of community God is calling you guys to be when you go back, this is supposed to be a community of small little acts of love, sacrificial love throughout your life, small little acts of faith, acts of little faithfulness throughout your life that get planted. And what do they do? They grow up into this tree that can be a refuge for others, a refuge for others at Mizzou. That's the kind of community he wants you to become, a refuge through tiny little ordinary everyday acts of love. Now on the flip side of that, What might we be tempted to become? What might we be tempted to become? Jesus, he uses the the image of a tree uh, to symbolize his kingdom, okay? So he's using a tree image to symbolize his kingdom when he talks about this mustard seed, this mustard tree. And I think he does it intentionally because he's trying to contrast it with a different tree. See, there's a different tree in the Old Testament. And this tree, we read about it in Daniel 4. And this tree, it's not the kingdom of God. It's actually the opposite of the kingdom of God. This tree is the kingdom of Babylon, It's the kingdom of Babylon. So how does this kingdom of Babylon, how does it grow? Well, it actually grows by small acts too, small acts of selfishness, pride, idolatry, injustice, violence. That's how this tree grows up. And it doesn't become a refuge for for the birds, for for, for the needy. It becomes a refuge for the beasts, for the power brokers, for the people who are interested in Babylon and keeping Babylon going, for the violent, that, that's, that's what Babylon wants to protect. 
that's this other tree. Now, I realize talking about Babylon, that sounds a little bit weird, right? And no one's probably uh, super interested in becoming like that. You don't hear that and say, wow, that's something I would really like to become. And when you hear Babylon, it's like, isn't that a place I studied, you know, in my high school history class? I mean, what does this really have to do with my life today? Well, here's what you have to understand. In the Bible, Babylon is a picture. It's a symbol for the counter kingdom to God's kingdom. It's a symbol for everything that stands against what God is trying to do in the world. It's a symbol for what happens whenever we try to create a life, create a world where God is knocked out. He's not a part of the picture, where we live by our own definitions of good and evil. That's what Babylon is supposed to be. That's what Babylon is in the Bible. And so we have two trees, right? Two different trees, the tree of the kingdom of God and this tree of Babylon. And the question that's before us is, what's Babylon today? Because Babylon will take on many forms. It wasn't just a city at one point. Babylon takes on many different forms. So what's Babylon today? What's Babylon in our lives? Let's just watch this video and then we'll think about it. Screens. They are profoundly changing the human experience, pushing the tyranny of now overloading our choices, weaponizing humor, making snarky cool and cynical smart. Where there's an emoji for every mood and a gif for every moment. The typical 15 to 23 year old spends nearly 20 times more hours per year using screen-driven media than taking in spiritual content. In ancient Babylon, God's people found themselves in exile, a foreign land, foreign gods, foreign customs. Despite those challenges, a faithful remnant emerged. Today, there are signs of that same type of resilient faith and devotion in modern-day followers of Jesus living in a digital Babylon. In the screen age, our devices are the new disciple-makers. But who are they leading us to follow? These lighted rectangles in our pockets have redefined so much about our lives, including spirituality and the pursuit of God. They have left us in a land marked by phenomenal access, profound alienation, and a crisis of authority. Digital Babylon is the new context for discipleship. We are all exiles now. Okay. So I, I saw this video and I thought, man, that just seems so true of my own experience because I've lived in the world of phones and social media just like you guys for, for most of my life now. And, and I think the truth is, what's the Babylon today? Well, I, I think it's a digital Babylon. And what I'm not trying to say here is this isn't gonna be a talk about like throw away your phone or you know, go become Amish. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about here is how that, that those tiny little rectangles that we all have in our pockets, how those little things really do shape our lives tremendously. Say, well, yeah, I, I know, I get it, but I mean, just think about it, okay? What's the first thing you do when you wake up and when you go to bed? You pray, right? Nah, we look at our phones, right? It's just natural. The first thing, it's like, I'm look up, even if it's just to look at the time, but I'm looking at my phones. The first thing I do before I, I go to bed is the first thing I do whenever I wake up. And it's not just that, right? I mean, the, the stuff that we get on our phones, social media, YouTube, memes, I mean, all of it, it shapes how we think about the world. I mean, where do we go to get our news? Where do we go to find something that's funny? Where do we go to think about how to live, to answer our questions? Where do we go to, to meet people, to date? I mean, it all happens on these tiny little devices that all of us have in our pockets. It shapes us tremendously. 
And I think the statistics are just sobering, right? We spend 20, more t- 20 times more taking in. This is Christians, by the way. This is a statistic about Christians. 20 times more hours taking in content from our screens than we do taking in spiritual content. What do you think is gonna shape your life? Babylon or the kingdom of God? See, the ancient Israelites... They were taken into exile in the real life Babylon and they lived there for 70 years. And the main job, what the Babylonians were trying to do is they were trying to assimilate them into their culture. They wanted to make these Israelites into Babylonians. And yet there were people who remained faithful. There were people who remained faithful inside of the Babylon, right? They remained faithful to God's kingdom and God's way of doing things. I think that if the ancient Babylonians were somewhat successful assimilating people today, the power of digital technology is so much more successful. It has a power to shape us, which outstrips anything that we have ever seen in human history. And so the challenges that are gonna stand, not just before you right now, but for the rest of your life, are immense. They are tremendous. And the question that stands before you is gonna be, are you gonna be assimilated to Babylon? Are you going to be faithful? Will you live in God's kingdoms and God's kingdom and trust him? I think Jesus picks the image of a tree, not just to contrast it with the tree of Babylon, right? He says, my kingdom's like a tree and the kingdom of Babylon's like a tree, right? Uh, but I think those two trees, they, 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 they're actually uh, something Jesus is picking to bring us back to an even earlier story in the Old Testament. It's a story about two trees in the Garden of Eden. I've got a little image that I'll throw up on the screen that I think has picturesque, it's kind of summarized for me, the the choice. Because Adam and Eve, they were faced with a choice in the garden between two trees. Uh, The the, the tree on on one side represents death, but the tree on the other side represents life. The tree on one side represents human wisdom. The tree on the other side represents God's wisdom. Tree on one side says uh, it's uh, human definitions of good and evil. On the other side, it's God's definition of good and evil. Love and Hatred, life, and death, these trees, we've got a choice standing before us. Which one will we give our life to? Which one will we be shaped by? Which one, every day when you wake up, when you go back to Mizzou, which one are you gonna choose? We don't just wanna be talkers, we wanna be doers, we wanna live this out. Which one are you gonna choose? I think that's the question Jesus is implicitly putting before us inside of this parable. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses, he's referring to the same idea of two options. And he says this to the Israelites. He says, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, choose life. Choose life. Pick life. Go back to Mizzou and pick life. Choose life. Pick that side. That's what Moses is saying. So which one is it going to be? When we go back to Columbia, when we're all living there, there's a question I've got to ask myself every morning. Which one are we gonna choose? Which one are we gonna choose? Uh, I, I wanna end Fall Tree again by just giving you some really practical, here's what you can do. If you wanna pick life, if you wanna pick God's kingdom, if you wanna give Jesus your, your life, your loyalty, your, your choices, your friendships, your future, if you wanna give him all of that, then there's three things I think everybody needs to do. And what I'm about to tell you isn't rocket science. I'm not about to blow your mind, okay? You've heard all of these three things before, and yet I hope you can hear them in a new context now that will invigorate you to actually go back and do it, okay? Here are the three things. You do these things, your life will change, and again, I think Mizzou will change tremendously. They're simple. Prayer, Bible, friendship. 
Really simple. Prayer, Bible, friendship. Let's look at each one on its own. Let's start with prayer. I don't know if you realize this, but there's actually a pattern in the Bible of people that they experience outside pressure, sometimes outside oppression, and as a result, they get to the end of themselves. They realize, I can't do this anymore. I'm at the end of myself. And as a result, they end up, they end up crying out to God. They end up praying to God, and then God sends them a deliverer who is able to bring spiritual renewal. This is a pattern. It's a cycle that goes throughout the whole Bible of people getting to the end of themselves. They cry out to God and God rescues them and there's a spiritual renewal. Uh, We see it in particular in the book of Judges. I'll just read one little passage. This is Judges 6.6. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Midian impoverishes them. They get to the end of themselves and they begin to pray, God, God, please rescue us. God, please bring spiritual renewal. God, please transform our country, transform our world. God, please act. And it's not just in the Old Testament. It actually happens in the New Testament. After Jesus ascends to heaven, he says, wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And so you know what the people do? His disciples, they get to the end of themselves and they collect together in a room and they pray. And we don't know how long they're praying for, but they are praying, God, bring your spirit. God, bring renewal. And then we read the story of when the church actually began. This is Acts 2. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues and other languages as the Spirit enabled them. It's this miraculous event. That's not how it normally happens all the time. But in this singular event, they are praying for renewal. And God acts and he brings spiritual renewal. And it hasn't stopped since the New Testament. Throughout Christian history, throughout the history of the church, there have been these moments where people get to the end of themselves. They realize we are living in Babylon. I have no other hope outside of God. And they pray, God, do something. God, please renew. God, please. It happens again and again and again. I mean, one example, my life has been shaped a lot by a ministry called Young Life. Do you wanna know how Young Life started? Do you think it was like some super cool youth pastor going into the high school and convincing all these high school kids to come to his young life meetings? Or do you think it was maybe some you know, high school jock who had a thing for Jesus and starts a Bible study and that becomes young life? No, 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 no. that's not how young life started. Young life started with a bunch of old ladies. That's how it started. A bunch of old ladies sitting in a church across from a high school praying together, God, do something in those high schoolers' lives. God, reach those high schoolers who don't know you. I don't know how long they prayed for, but eventually God sent someone. Something happened, and there was a spiritual renewal in that high school, and that became Young Life. And Young Life has been a ministry which has shaped a huge amount of people. There's a lot of people in this room who have been shaped by Young Life. I've been shaped by Young Life. I know Kyle's been shaped by Young Life. You've been shaped by people who've been shaped by Young Life. Whether or not you realize it, those old ladies' prayers, they are still echoing right here. They're still echoing right here. And the same thing goes for Veritas. There have been people who have been praying for Veritas, praying for this ministry, praying for spiritual renewal on Mizzou's campus. I have seen over a decade of students getting together and they will pray for there to be renewal on campus. And whether or not you realize it, God heard their prayer and now he's acting in your life. So the question is, when you go back, are you gonna pray? And not just pray for me and my own problems. You should pray for that. That's not a bad thing to pray for. But could you pray Get to the end of yourself, and could you pray for there to be spiritual renewal on Mizzou's campus? 
In fact, I'm gonna give you a challenge. I want you right now to think of one person. I want you to think of one person that you could say, you know what, me and him, me and her, we could get together on a regular basis, five minutes, right? We'll just meet up on campus really quick and we're just gonna pray for spiritual renewal, just the two of us. Really briefly, that's all we're gonna do. And maybe if you hear about other people doing it, you guys can pair up and you get a few more people together, but can you just think of one person that you could do that with? Here's my challenge. Again, let's not just be thinkers and dreamers. Let's be doers. Today, before the end of the day, I want you to send a text to that person. Say, hey, can we talk about finding a time to pray together? Everybody has to do it. It, Don't wait for you to get the text. Just say, you know, I'm gonna find someone and we're gonna pray for spiritual renewal. And I promise you, you might not see the immediate fruit of what God's gonna do. It might be 10 years from now, but God's gonna hear those prayers and he will transform Mizzou, prayer is the first practice that we have to practice to resist the the digital Babylon that we're finding ourselves in. The second thing is Bible, okay? Second thing is Bible. You wanna know what I've never heard anyone say? Uh, People who watch a lot of TV change the world. Never heard someone say that. I don't think it's probably ever happened. Here's a different thing. I've never heard someone say, people who spend hours on social media change the world. Again, I've, I've, I've never heard someone say that. Maybe it happens, I don't know. You wanna know what the Bible says? The Bible says that the person who meditates on God's word consistently is like a tree planted by streams of water whose leaf never withers and fruit is always in season. And it's, it's an image of a person who's not just full of life, but, but remember, this is a world of food scarcity, right? And so a tree that has fruit on it isn't just good for itself, it's good for the whole community, right? So what it's saying is, if you're a Bible, you wanna know how to change the world, you wanna know how to give things to other people, be a Bible reader. Do you wanna change your community? Be a Bible reader. Do you wanna have something to give other people? Be a Bible reader. That's how it works. That's how you can change the world. So again, simple challenge as you go back to Mizzou. I want you right now, in your head, I want you to make a plan for tomorrow. Some of you guys are already Bible readers, some of you guys aren't, but I want you to make a plan for tomorrow of how you are going to read the Bible. And I want it to be really specific. Like I want you to think of, about the time and what you're gonna have to do. Like, okay, I'm gonna wake up at, at, at eight o'clock and I'm gonna brush my teeth and I'm gonna pour my cup of coffee and I'm gonna read my Bible for 10 minutes. Where are you gonna do it? Seriously, in your head right now, make a plan. Make a plan. Get that plan in your head. Roll through it. Imagine it. You think I'm being weird. Studies show this actually works. You'll do it if you imagine it. Which isn't just fancy stuff, okay? Hey, do you got that plan in your head? Don't just be a talker. Be a doer. Because watching Netflix or sleeping in or whatever it is, that's not going to change anything or anyone. But if you want to see the world get changed, be a Bible reader. And don't just be a Bible reader. There's a second challenge I give you. Be a Bible studier. Be someone who actually knows your Bible. Again, the statistics are staggering, right? We spend 20 times more hours taking in content from our screens than we do taking in spiritual content. So here's my second challenge for you. Again, I'm not telling you to throw away your phone. What I am saying though, is however you take in content, whether it's Instagram or YouTube or podcasts, whatever it is, you need to add some Christian content into that stream. If you're not following, if you don't have Christian stuff coming out of there, if you don't have something that's gonna actually take care of your soul and help you follow Jesus, again, you just, you can't resist. You can't resist the digital Babylon. You've got to have something in that stream of content. And it's gonna be a discipline because you're always gonna be tempted just to swipe through it, go past it, don't spend time looking at it. But you're gonna have to say, you know what? If I'm gonna be on here, I'm gonna learn something about Jesus. So I, I, again, I want you to do that. What I've done for you on the back of your little Ruth handouts, 
I, I've got a list. And I, don't, I don't know a lot of this. You can probably talk to staff and they might have different ideas. I, I just shared things that have helped me personally be faithful to Jesus in, in, in the digital Babylon. The things that I follow, the things that I am intaking as part of my content stream to keep me following Jesus. I want you to find something on there that's in your stream, whatever it is that you watch that you do, and I want you to make it a habit of I'm always, if I'm gonna be on here, I'm gonna check that out. I'm gonna make sure I grow in that way, okay? So when you go back again, just look at that. Prayer, let's pray, find one person to pray for renewal with. Bible reading, make a plan to become that tree, right, that actually has life to give. And become a Bible studier. Add something into your stream of content that's actually gonna help you walk with Jesus on a regular basis, right? Get, get that 20 to one ratio back into balance, okay? Number three, friendship. Number three, friendship. Now, I know everybody, there's not a person in this room who says, I don't want friends. If you are, you're weird, okay? Everybody in here wants friends. I want friends, you want friends. And yet, the thing I think a lot of us would say here is, I wish I had more friends. I wish I had deeper friends. I wish I had those friends. We all have a sense of I want friends and a slight dissatisfaction with friends. That is just part of, I think, what it means to be human. We were made to be wired into relationships. And my question for you is, not just do you have friends, but do you have friends who are helping you walk with Jesus? There's a story from a Navy admiral. His name's William McRaven. Uh, he was a Navy SEAL, and uh, he, he tells the story of his SEAL training. You know, SEAL training is the hardest in the military. And he tells a story from the hardest week, Hell Week, uh, the hardest day of the hardest week in all of Navy SEAL training. And on this particular day, him and his group of recruits, they, they made this tiny little uh, infraction of the rules. And as a result, their drill sergeants, they take them down to the San Juan Mud Flats. And the San Juan mudflats are these neck-deep, freezing-cold, uh, just lakes of mud. And what their drill instructors do is they make them wade out. They make them wade out into neck-cold, freezing-deep mud as the sun is setting. And they say, you need to stay in here until the sun rises again. And they leave. Hours pass, and they are, they're in absolute misery. They've never been this cold in their life. They've never had to stand for this long. I mean, it's just, they, and they're, they're at the ends of themselves mentally. They don't have anything left to give. And finally, the drill instructors show up after a few hours, and in the distance, they build a fire. And they set up some chairs, and they're cooking some food and some coffee. And one of the drill instructors comes back down, and he sees the group of recruits, and he says, hey, we've got fire, it's warm, somewhere to sit, you know, chicken noodle soup, hot coffee, it's great. In fact, who wants to come up and have some? Of course, everybody thinks they want to come. He says, in fact, everybody, everybody can come up and you can all have some if, 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 just three of you quit. Three, that's it. Three of you guys quit training. Everybody gets to eat. Everybody gets out of the mud. And they're standing there. Again, they are at the end of themselves on the hardest day of the hardest week of all of Navy SEAL training. And William McRaven describes the guy in front of him starts walking forward. He's gonna go quit. And then another guy goes, and another guy goes. And he tries to reach out and grab the guy, but he kind of shakes him off, and he keeps going. And as they're getting closer to the drill sergeant, closer to the point where they're gonna quit, behind McRaven, one voice starts singing out. It's not a good singer, but he's singing a song that everybody knew. It was a Navy SEAL song. It's one of those songs that sings about all of the past glories and victories. It's a song that reminds them of all the reasons that they signed up to be Navy SEALs to begin with. And that one voice becomes more voices and everybody starts singing the song and the three guys, they all stop in their tracks 
They hear the song and they are reminded of why they signed up in the first place. They start singing. And one by one, they turn around and they go back into the mud. And the drill sergeant is yelling at him, stop singing, stop singing, you're not allowed. But they sing all the louder. They sing their way through the entire night. Life can be like living in neck deep, freezing cold mud. Do you have anyone who will sing you back to Jesus? Because I'll tell you what, there's gonna be a time when you're gonna wanna walk in and you're gonna wanna throw in the towel and the real question is gonna be, is there anyone there behind you to sing? Remember why you're following him. Remember how he's loved you. Remember what he promises you. Do you have those friendships in your life right now? Again, I said it'd be practical. I'm just gonna be really practical. The only way to get friendships is work. You gotta work at it. And not just work, it's time. One of the things that I've seen over the past few years, and I see this even working with people in their 20s, is that uh, for whatever reason, spiritual priorities have gone farther and farther and farther down the, the, the ladder, right? And so whenever it comes to things like small group, the place where you're gonna make these friendships, the place where you're actually gonna make the connection, and I'm not saying it's gonna be automatic. It will take work, right? But that's where it's gonna happen. But what I see is small group's not a second level thing in the hierarchy. It's not a third, it's fourth. It's like a fifth, right? It's like if I have a test or if I have you know, a different event or if I am just feeling a little bit under the weather, basically anything could get in the way of me going to small group because it is such a small priority in my life. And then we wonder, after a year, why do I feel so alone? Why do I feel like I don't have anybody who can call me back to Jesus? The world of digital Babylon is going to tell you, church is a hobby, just keep it down there, keep it in a safe place. You don't need to really make a big thing out, just keep it down there, don't think about it. It's gonna tell you that over and over, and we can buy into the lie, but I'll tell you what, your life will not change until you become the kind of person who says, you know what, rain or shine, I'm gonna be at that small group. And you know what? That small group won't change until it's full of people who are saying, rain or shine, I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna be in that group of people because my soul needs this. I don't need a mental health day. I need people who are gonna tell me to follow Jesus. I don't need to go to this other activity. I need to follow Jesus. I don't need to work out. I need to follow Jesus. I need this. If I don't have this, I will just become like the rest of the Babylon out there. This is what you need. You need that community. When you go back, will you be committed to your small groups, committed to the friendships that God has put in your life. It's a small practice, it's once a week, but it will change your life, I promise. Three things, three things we can do that I think, I think will free us to choose life. Remember, there's a tree there, right? And it's this tree of the kingdom of God, but it points to a different tree, which is the tree of Jesus' cross. He died on the cross precisely so that he could set us free to enjoy life with him, to learn his wisdom, to walk in his ways, to be a part of his community. And if we wanna choose life, again, it's not rocket science. Simple practices that keep us close to God. Prayer, find someone to pray for renewal with. Bible reading. Be someone who's got a habit of reading your Bible every day. Make a plan in your head and do it tomorrow. Do it tomorrow morning. Bible study. Get it into your content stream. Friendships. Have a small group. Have a group of people who you have deeply committed your life to. It's not just a hobby. 
I want to end with the very last words from the book of Ruth. Seems like a good place to end since we've been studying it. You know, uh, Ruth ends in a weird way. It's an amazing little narrative. Um, but it ends with a genealogy. And genealogies are not very exciting things, right? Like, it's not how we would want to end a story. But this is how it ends. It says, now, these are the generations of Perez. Okay? You guys ready for this? You've probably never actually had a pastor read through a genealogy, but here we go. Okay, Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David, that is King David. Now in that little genealogy, there's a story being told. It is the story of God's kingdom, God's kingdom of love conquering Babylon. Did you hear it? Probably not, it's easy to miss. Here's what you have to know, genealogies are never comprehensive. They don't include everybody in the list. They only pick the most important people. And in a 10 person genealogy, which is what we just read, the most important people come in first, seventh, and 10th position. So who are in those positions? Well, first, we've got a guy named Perez. We'll talk about him in a second. Seventh, we've got Boaz, the hero of our story. And tenth, we have David, King David. So let's talk about Perez for a second. Perez is the son of a woman named Tamar. And Tamar was a woman who had her rights trampled on by her own father-in-law. And in order to get what she was owed, she tricks her father-in-law into sleeping with her. Then he tries to murder her, but then he realizes that she has her, his child because she's pregnant, and that's Perez. You wanna talk about Babylon? You wanna talk about family dysfunction? That's it. That's Babylon. And, and how can this family of dysfunction and, and violence and, and, and abuse, how, how can all of that get redeemed? Well, the answer to that question, how can Babylon be conquered? Well, it can only be conquered not by more Babylon, it can only be conquered by love. Seventh position, Boaz. Boaz's sacrificial, redemptive love is the thing that transforms this family line so that just a few generations down the line, who will come about? King David. And we as Christians know who King David is the ultimate father of, Jesus. Jesus, Boaz, through his redemptive love, as he chose life, through his redemptive love, becomes, in many senses, the great, great, great grandfather of Jesus. Here's the question. Do you think Ruth knew? Do you think she knew when she said to Naomi, I won't go back to my own father's house, I'll stick with you, even if it leads me to death, I will be with you, I will give everything up for you. Do you think she knew that she would become the great, 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 super great grandma of Jesus, the savior of the universe? Do you think Boaz knew? When he said, I'm gonna take in these two widows, it might mean that I go hungry, there's a huge risk here, but I'm gonna do it anyways. Do you think he knew when he did that? that he'd become the great, 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 super great grandfather of Jesus, the one whose cross would become a refuge for all people. I think they had no idea. I think they're just living their everyday lives. They're just trying to be faithful. They're just trying uh, to pick life. They're trying to take risks because they know they're under God's love. That's what I think they're doing. Do you think you're gonna know when you go back to campus how those small little acts of love for other people the small, tiny practices of gratitude and prayer and reading our Bibles, friendships, those tiny little things that seem so small, do you think you're gonna know what those things will become in eternity? 
Do you think you know? I don't think you know. I don't know. But I can promise you this. They will become something. Your prayers will echo into eternity. That Bible reading will create life in a refuge that's going to echo into eternity. Those friendships are going to create life that's going to echo into eternity. And so my prayer for each one of you as you go back, it's not just that you wouldn't be just talkers or doers. My prayer for each and every single one of you as you go back is that you would have your heart vision of God transformed so that you see his powerful sacrificial love and you're free to take these risks and to practice these small little practices and just watch, just watch because God's gonna do something big. It might not be right here, right now. It might be five or 10 years from now, but God will do something through those things that will change lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'll be the first person, again, to confess that uh, I I want to trust you. I I want to be someone who's characterized by small, tiny acts of love, small practices, prayer, Bible reading, friendship. And yet, the constant temptation that's brought before me, that's brought before all of us, is to be assimilated into the digital Babylon, to to, to look like the world that's around us, to believe its set of priorities, to think that, you know, Jesus is just a hobby, the church is just a fun little thing. You know, Jesus, you, you came to give us the church. You came to give us each other. You came to shape us into a certain kind of people. And so, Jesus, as we leave fall retreat, I pray we would leave refreshed and renewed and restored and captivated by your love. Be with us. Give us the grace and strength to do what we hope to do, to confess when we fall short, to put our hope in you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, Check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.